0: All right. uh, my name is Anthony Burton. Uh, I'm the lead pastor here at Bridge Church. And let me just start by saying Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Who loves Christmas? I love Christmas. I love Christmas music, <laughs> jingle bells and all. Amen. We can sing it. I love Christmas cartoons. I can watch them for days. Um, I love uh, being able to buy my children presents and my family gifts. Like, there used to be a time where I would get sort of anxious about uh, this time of year, but now I just, I love it. I let it all go and I love, I love Christmas. And if you're not careful, you can uh, mistake what the reason for Christmas is all about, right? It can easily sort of swallow you whole with regards to shopping and these kinds of things. Uh, But Christmas is not about gifts. Well, it is, just not Christmas gifts. They are about the gift that God has given to us. Christmas is it's not about family. It is, but not like our immediate family. It's about the family that God is building through his son. Church family. It's not about the holiday spirit, although those are good things. It's really about the Holy Spirit. This is what Christmas is all about. It's it's even more than simply a baby being born 2,000 years ago. It's more than that. Because what Christmas is about is God providing a remedy for sin and death. This is what Christmas is all about. Jesus said that he came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is why he came. Like, and w- when you're talking about the purpose and the reason for the season, what we're really saying is that uh, Christmas is all about Christ coming into the world to give his life for the world. That whosoever believes in him will have his life. Christmas provides us with a wonderful opportunity to reflect on the purpose for Christ coming into the world to begin with. And even more than that, today's scripture uh, in Genesis presents us with a wonderful opportunity to end our series about Abraham and uh, his this particular story with Abraham and his son uh, very much mirrors uh, the reason that God gives us this season. Uh, this iconic event in Abraham's life represents sort of the apex and the climax of of his calling, sacrifice of his son, his only son, all right. Now, I felt like the video did a very good job telling the story, but there are a few verses that I'd like to read uh, for us all. I'm going to skip around just a little bit, but I want us to sort of get uh, the gist of how the scriptures uh, tell the story. And so I'm going to read verse 2 and verse 4, verse 7 and 8, and verse 12 through 14. And um, let me just say, like, this is, this is it. We've, like, journeyed all the way through the life of Abraham, and we've come up uh, on the end. We're going to end the series here and start with Journey 2020 when we come back after the fifth Sunday. Uh, but I've enjoyed it. Uh, I've learned so much. I hope that you have as well. And so, uh, read with me Genesis chapter 22. I'm going to read verse 2 and 4, 7 through 8, 12 through 14. He said, This is God, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as an offering. On one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Now, interesting thing that this mountain in Moriah, Mount Moriah, becomes the site on which the temple itself is built. Solomon builds the temple in the same place. And so sacrifices are taking place there from the moment that uh, Abraham ascends the mountain. Uh, to the moment that the temple is finally torn down in uh, A.D. 70. Uh, So on the third day, verse 4, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place from afar. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them together, verse 11. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, Jehovah-Jireh, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Now, the story sort of depicts, depicts after, this, after this episode that, that Abraham grabs his son and he, he embraces him, uh, and, and sort of longs for him. You sort of get this feeling like he did not want uh, to do this. And I just sort of wonder like what Abraham's mindset must have been in this moment. I'm going to take my only son, the one that I love, right, the one that God has promised to me. I have been waiting all of my life for a son. And it takes me until I'm 100 years old before I get one. And uh, God, you promised me almost 25, 30 years ago that you were going to bless me with an offspring. I finally get them. And as soon as I get them, you tell me I have to take them on the mountain and give them back to you. Imagine what is going on in Abraham's mind. Uh, John sent me this just wonderfully funny meme. I wanted to put it up here, but I didn't do it. But could you imagine when they got back to Sarah and Sarah asked them, well, how was the trip, fellas? Uh, I could only imagine what the boy was thinking as well. However, the scriptures actually give us insight into what Abraham was thinking when he was about to sacrifice Isaac. Hebrews chapter 11. Verses 17 through 19. And it says, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said through Isaac, shall your offspring be named? He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead from which figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Abraham was thinking as he was endeavoring to do this thing that God had asked him to do, his thinking was, well, God is going, if God gave him to me, he promised him to me, and I've been waiting all of this time and he's finally blessed me with him, the only logical conclusion that I could come to is that he's going to raise him from the dead. Think about like, think about that kind of faith, right, that you're willing to offer the boy because your mindset and thought process is that God is going to raise him from the dead. And so he was not reluctant, And I love what the author says at the, beget, at the end when he states, figuratively speaking, he actually does receive Isaac back from the dead. Because in Abraham's mind, he was as good as dead. Now, if you remember, uh, a couple of months ago now, we talked about this idea of types and that Abraham himself is a type of Christ, meaning that Abraham's life mirrors to some degree and in various ways the life of Christ. And so you can see aspects of Christ and his life in Abraham and his life. We talked about that. Well, let me tell you that Isaac is a type of Christ. And A type such that his life more than any other person in the scriptures mirrors Christ's life more than anyone else. You can find, um, uh, as you're you're examining the life of Isaac, you can find the life of Christ in so many aspects of Isaac's life. Now, we're not going to be long today. It's Christmas. And I'm ready to... Relax. <laughs> Celebrate and relax. <clears throat> I want to look at Isaac's life and see where those parallels are drawn. Right? And I think that it will give you some insight with regard to what God's ultimate plan uh, was and is, and we can see Christ through Isaac's life. Are you with me? Yes. All right. So here's the first point. Put the first point up there for me. He was a miraculous baby born in the unlikeliest of circumstances, right? That's that's like the the first obvious parallel that that he should have never been born uh, apart from God's miraculous intervention to make this thing happen. You're talking about a 100-year-old man and a 90-year-old woman and and they readily admit that they have no business having uh, children. Well, we know that Jesus himself uh, was a miraculous baby born in the unlikeliest of circumstances. So we have that first parallel right there. Matthew chapter 1, uh, verse 18 through 23. Now, the birth of Jesus meaning God with us. So there's the Christmas story. Um, Here's the second thing. He is designated as the only son. This is an important thing to grasp. As a matter of fact, God himself says it three or four times in the passage that we read about Isaac. And Isaac was not Abraham's only son. Now we've talked about this uh, somewhat before, but let's really understand what it means for Isaac to be designated by God as the only son of Abraham. Very important. Not only is it uh, implying that uh, uh, sort of just the only son, but he's he's also implying that he is the firstborn. Like he it has the birthright. He is Uh, He is the one who will uh, be granted the inheritance. He is the one who will be blessed. He is the one that the blessing will come through. Isaac is the one who is chosen by God to represent everything that God is planning to do through Abraham. And and, uh, Abraham has another son named Ishmael, but Ishmael has been cast out And Isaac is designated by God as his only son. It's an important distinction to make. Why? Why? Because, one, it shows us that he holds a special place with God. That's number one. He holds a special place with God. Look at Exodus chapter 22, verse 29 and 30. Look what God has to say about the firstborn sons in particular. The firstborn of your sons, you shall give to me. Verse 30, you shall do the same with your oxen and with your sheep. Seven days it shall be with his mother. On the eighth day, you shall give it to me. God, uh, Uh, takes an ownership uh, with regard to those sons who would be the firstborn. Now, in order for Isaac to have that designation, he has to be the only son. He's the only son by designation of God. All right, we're almost there. Why is it important? Number two, because it is a distinction that is made of Christ himself. That Christ is the only son. We're looking at how Isaac's life parallels Jesus' life. Uh, Isaac is a type of Christ. And so the distinction has to be made about Isaac because Isaac represents Christ. And Christ himself has the same distinction. Look at John chapter 3, verse 16 uh, through 18. The most famous verse in all of Scripture. Now, it's without getting too technical about begotten and all of that kind of thing, just know that the simple way to look at this is to understand that Christ is the one and only Son. For God so loved the world that he gave what his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Well, maybe you say he, 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 he was just like just talking and wasn't meaning the designation. Well, keep reading verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe in him is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of who? The only son of God. He is the only son. If you got a King James, he is the only begotten son. He is the one who comes from God. He is the one that is designated by God to Uh, to be the same person that Isaac is uh, in the book of of, uh, Genesis. Uh, This designation by God allows uh, Christ to be titled and to have preeminence and to be over and to be above, to be singled out uh, amongst everyone else. He is the only son of God. Now, uh, a couple of things. Colossians 1st chapter, verse 18 through 19, tells us just this. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. It is important for him to hold the highest title, to be the, like, he is one of, of no one, Right? He is one of one. He's different than everyone else. Uh, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile himself to all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Uh, You might say, well, God has other sons. Yes, but he, he only has one only son. (laughs) he has sons, but he only has one of Jesus, right? Jesus is unique and special. Why? Because Jesus is able uh, to accomplish all that God uh, desires and designs for his people. He's able to make the family of God. You and I cannot be designated as a son without the only son. Uh, John 1 and 12, but to all who did receive him, the only son, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And so through Christ, he is able to uh, allow us to be sons, but he is the only son. Now, ladies, let me say it one more time. I know I said it before but it is important that I reiterate it. Uh, I'm not being like gender biased or anything when I say that God has made us sons. understand that in that day, the son held a, a, a higher place in the family than daughters did. But in Christ, to God, we are all of that designation. Right? And so you have those rights. As a son, right? You get an inheritance like a son, right? You get the spirit of God. All right, this is what we're talking about. Like you have, there's no male or female. So in Christ, he changed the game. Uh, here's the next thing. Uh, he was uh, to be offered as a burnt offering. Very interesting thing, that Isaac was to be offered as a burnt offering. It's uh, said several times. Uh, Abraham is very familiar with the idea of sacrifice. Uh, If you remember when we first started this whole thing, uh, right after we come out of the Tower of Babel, we're talking about Abraham building altars. Right And in Abraham and building altars, we said this. Maybe you remember this. Put the next slide up for me. That the altar was a place of devotion. It's a place of memorial, a place of witness. And it is a place of sacrifice. Now, the thing that we didn't talk about when we talked about the altar is what specifically the sacrifice is for. And what the purpose of the sacrifice uh, is to Sir, well, I got another slide. It'll tell you. The sacrifice, it is a gift and offering to God, number one. Uh, it's also an act of worship and thanksgiving to God. And then it grants appeasement and atonement from God. What do I mean by appeasement? Well, you, you know how you read about the sacrifice, and in particular with regard to the burnt offering that uh, the aroma goes up to God and it is a pleasing aroma. God is pleased by the sacrifice. It satisfies him to some degree, right? And then it makes atonement for sin. This is what the sacrifice uh, does. As a matter of fact, uh, in Leviticus 1 9, it tells us that uh, the, the the life of the flesh is in the blood and that uh, the blood and the flesh have been given to you for sacrifice, to make atonement for your sins. This is the purpose of the sacrifice. We could go on and on. I don't want to get bogged down in two, but I just want you to know that this was the purpose of the sacrifice. Uh, Abraham is offering his son up as a burnt offering. All right, The purpose of the offering. It is a gift to God. Uh, It is an act of worship and thanksgiving. And then it grants appeasement and atonement for sin. This is the purpose of the offering. Well, Isaac uh, is just like Christ. He's just like Christ. Look at Ephesians 5 and 2. It says, Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. As a what? A fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Uh, Jesus plays this. He plays this role. He is the. He is uh, the burnt offering, the the sacrifice uh, that goes up as a pleasing aroma uh, to God. John chapter one verse twenty nine. It says, the next day, this is John the Baptist, he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Uh, Jesus is uh, our ram in the bush. However, Jesus could accomplish what the ram could not accomplish. Right, Jesus could do not even what Isaac could do, which is why God put the brakes on it, because what Isaac could do was not actually meet the requirements for God to be satisfied and for sin to be atoned for. And so he sends the ram uh, in place of Isaac, and it temporarily uh uh causes God not to uh punish sin, right? But it doesn't actually get you forgiveness because the blood of bulls and goats are is incapable of doing such things. However, Jesus Himself is able. First Peter 1 18 and 19 says, for You were ransomed, meaning you were paid for. You were bought from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, like that of a lamb without spot or blemish. Uh, The blood of Jesus is able to save to the uttermost able to cleanse you from your sin. And when we talk about being cleansed from sin, meaning God removes all guilt. You are declared innocent before him. Amen. This is what the blood is able to accomplish, that the blood of bulls and goats and rams could not do. This is what even Isaac himself falls short in doing. And here's the last thing he was raised from the dead Isaac was Isaac was figuratively speaking Jesus was literally speaking returns from the dead uh, unlike the ram the ram stays dead Uh, even Abraham had it in mind that God would raise his only son from the dead the big difference here is that Christ comes into the world saves us from our sins by dying on a cross but the power and the salvation is what it is Not because he dies, but it is because he gets up. Acts 2 and 24, God raised him up, uh, loosening the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Jesus said that I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he asks a question. Do you believe this? That's right. Jesus. The, uh, what a wonderful name it is. Because it's, it's not that he was just a baby born into the world. No, 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 no. It's even more than that. Uh, that he... Died on a cross. Yes, but it's even more than that. That on that third day he got up out of the grave because the grave had no power over him and not only did it not have power over him, if you believe he is the resurrection and it has no power over you. Now, it's interesting that... um, you know, we have endeavored through the scriptures from Genesis chapter 11 to Genesis chapter 22, talking about this man named Abraham. We've titled it, he is a father of many nations, bringing out the fact that uh, Abraham, Abraham's lineage, his family, his children extend beyond uh, just color barriers and social Uh, economic barriers, that he is a father of many nations, many nations. But one of the things that I haven't done really in this whole time is grant the opportunity, the opportunity to become one of those children. Christ died, he was born, he died, he raised, and now he lives with all power at the right hand of the Father. John said that the song, Joy to the World, is not about his first coming. It's actually about his second. And he will return with all power in his hands. And it's not a scary thing. It's something to embrace. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. It's a joyful thing. I want to give you an opportunity today to acknowledge Christ as king. Christ as Lord of your life. What does that mean? That means you have surrendered yourself to him. You give up, and you give your life to him in every way, in every way. He's the head. He's the Lord. He's the king of your life. I want to give you that opportunity. Uh, In the old school church, they would say the doors of the church are open. Well, I'm just here to tell you that you have an opportunity right now to bow your knee and your life and your heart to Christ. If you come right now, I will walk you through it. I will pray you through it. I will show you to the best of my ability with the aid of the Holy Spirit to help you to see who Christ is. Pray with me. God, our Father, I just thank you for this day. God, I pray for anyone here who feels that need or urge to confess you as Lord. God, maybe they have been feeling it for some time now, and they've maybe wondered how to do it, or they've waited for the opportunity. God, they have that opportunity right now. Father, I pray that you would impress upon their hearts to embrace you, to put their own life aside, to die so that they can have the life that you give them, only the life that you can. is anyone here today is your day